another Stack Insider podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with Chet Kanoja, co-founder of Starry. Starry announced a business combination with Firstmark Horizon Acquisition Corp. in October. It is an internet service provider deploying home internet with wireless broadband. We talk about the economic advantages to this approach and why legacy internet players have held off disruptors for decades. We also speak with Amish Jani, president and chairman of Firstmark Horizon, to get the SPAC side view of the transaction, as well as some of the unique terms that this merger includes. Take a listen. Great, and so we're really excited to get into the ways that Starry can shake up home internet. But first, I just wanted to get into your history of entrepreneurship, Chet. You've been working to disrupt this space for quite some time. Can you walk us through some of the lessons you picked up through your previous ventures, Navic and Herrero, that led to Starry? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, one of those diseased individuals that uh, is serially starting companies. Uh, and it was kind of interesting to hear your uh, podcast with Bill Gross, where he decided he was going to parallelize the process. So, Mish, maybe there's uh, life after this yet. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I've been, um, you know, I've been in the telecommunications space uh, since the very inception. My first company, which I started in about 2000, uh, was in the same space as well. We were suppliers of software to cable companies and and then I started Aereo, but just fundamentally fell in love with the sector uh, just because it's it's really difficult, interesting. And, and the reason for all of that is because it's sort of this intersection of really complicated technology, capital, regulatory issues, uh, you know, really, you know, multifaceted, multidimensional teams have to come together uh, and makes it really interesting as a challenge. Uh, the rewards are great. You can really do some meaningful work because you know consumers uh, love the services that you're building and, and uh, the experiences you can provide so it's it's very fulfilling enriching across multiple dimensions both intellectually and ultimately the contribution you're making in this sector and uh, it, in, in its you know it, these things tend to be non um, discretionary for consumers they tend to be difficult to execute but really very sticky products um, and and you can you know create some real value so uh, we collectively as a team love the sector just because of, of uh, all of those various uh, features and, and things that it requires you to do. Yeah. And you mentioned how complicated it is. For internet service providers, so much of the economics are kind of built around the infrastructure and getting that infrastructure out there as you roll into client areas. So how is Story approaching that um, as a relative newcomer to some of these markets? This sector has been pretty bulletproof from a disruption perspective. Uh, for a Probably the simplest reason is number one, the cost is incredibly high to build networks. And second, it takes an inordinate amount of time and a lot of physical effort, right? You, you look at anybody building a fiber network, they're trenching, they're hanging, you know, wires and poles and, you know, all kinds of sort of physical effort, which makes it really, really difficult to, to execute. And, and basically you're, you're looking at about 40% customer acceptance in any geographic area to justify a wireline overbuild, which is basically building a new network um, in those areas. And that, you know, and, and even then it's really, really hard because, you know, cities, for example, will have historical districts where you can't dig things up or you can't, you know, trench or it just the list goes on and on. And so one of the basic thing that Starry was really focused on from day one, which was how do you reduce the cost of construction of these networks? while not sacrificing quality from a capacity perspective. And in wireless, you can build networks cheaper from a coverage perspective, just because you know it's wireless versus wires. 
But the largest innovation, the big innovation that Starry did was how do you build that at low cost while preserving the capacity? Uh, and so, uh, and that inversion of those unit economics, if we were to say, is really what's enabling Starry to go out at a very rapid pace. I mean, you know, if you look at our two and a half year history from an execution perspective of building the network and getting customers, we went from a standing start to about 4.7 million homes near 5 million homes under passing in, in you know, a two and a half year period, which is an unprecedented amount of pace. We added incredible amounts of customer doubling the business every year. So it's really a proof point, what I will say for the sector that the Moore's law of, again, right, cost of compute just coming down, allowing you to deploy that compute closer to the edge and having a lot more capacity uh, as a result of that is, is the sort of real innovation here. And then you combine that with all the other complex things we do, uh, like acquiring Spectrum and working with the FCC and various government agencies. And the, that combination becomes a really potent um, vehicle to, to overbuild in a uh, really attractive way. And on the technology side, why has your competition not adopted fixed broadband more fully? And what are the barriers of entry across the space for using it? Yeah, so, you know, if you're an incumbent, uh, you already own the wire. So for you, there is no interest in developing new technology or cre creating disruption and cost structure because you already own the wire, you already own the customer. So, you know, traditional incumbent-based uh, or facilities-based incumbents, you know, whether it's Comcast or Charter or any of these companies, they did a really, you know, a lot of hard lifting over the last 60 years under various different guises to be able to build those networks out at an incredible expense of, you know, several hundred billion dollars uh, that sort of went into it. So for them, the incentive structure hasn't been there. Uh, the incentive really relies is for somebody like Starry who wants to overbuild for the purposes of providing competition and improving the service and, and really changing the customer experience because as we all know from our own practical experiences, in a, any kind of monopoly system, you know, the customer service isn't great, the product innovation isn't great. So income starry, and for us, the incentive structure makes sense because we're now driven by basically maximizing our return and said another way, making sure the cost structure, the most, the lowest we can drive it to without sacrificing quality and a capacity type of a equation. Uh, so Starry is, you know, basically built from ground up the entire tech stack to be able to solve that very specific thing. They're, you know, Starry is a company that focuses on building technology to solve a real business problem as opposed to saying, hey, here's some technology, what can we do with it? So as a team, we've done, I think, a great job of identifying really the sort of lever points in the in the system, which is how do you reduce CapEx? How do you reduce CapEx at risk? Because again, Right. If you're building a fiber network, you're laying out hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in a city before you have a single customer. Whereas Starry can come in and lay out a network in a city for 10 to $15 million as a start and then invert the equation, meaning all the CapEx that we're then spending is at the subscriber with edge, which is basically success-based, meaning when a customer really wants the service, right? The other dimension in that is, as I said, these these kinds of companies don't come about overnight, right? So we've been actually involved in the process with the FCC, for example, from 2014, 2015 onwards, 
to make sure we were uh, contributing and, and part of the conversation on what the rules for millimeter wave spectrum are going to be, for example. Then we were participants in auctions to acquire additional millimeter wave spectrum. So it's really a combination of great innovation on a technology side, cost structure, and then bringing it together with licensed spectrum that allows us to sort of create this, um, this whole ecosystem. So how do the local market conditions affect the functionality and economics of deploying Starry's fixed broadband infrastructure? And does it work as well in areas that are sparsely populated or hilly? Uh, That's a great question. Wireless, obviously, you're, you're radiating in, in multiple directions. And it is and millimeter wave spectrum in particular is subject to certain types of restrictions in terms of uh, propagation. So one of the innovations Starry did was to get about a mile's worth of radiation distance at capacity to be able to uh, leverage a lot of pre-existing vertical asset infrastructure. What I mean by that is, if you think about cell phone towers, right? Starry is the first company that actually figured out how to use millimeter wave spectrum at a macro altitude in the macro tower. That allows us to scale the business very rapidly without being a giant construction project. But there are certain underlying conditions that we have to acknowledge. Number one is what kind of density you're looking at, because at the end of the day, you have to basically be able to monetize that vertical asset that you're deploying across the number of customers that are going to take it. And typically, you want to target, you know, 1,000, 1,500 homes per square mile and greater. So if you look at the United States today, you have about 80 million, 76 to 80 million households that fall in the category that fit that description of density where you could have a justifiable business case. And in the remainder of the country beyond that, you know, I think there's about 130 million total households, you're really looking at much more fixed wireline type systems or potentially in very remote areas, satellite-based systems to be able to justify the thing. The second thing that, in, that you have to take into account is propagation under adverse conditions and adverse conditions typically here tend to be weather and foliage. And so what you're really doing is designing a network and the density of the network is a function of all of those factors going in. So you may have a network, let's say for an example in Boston, where we are operating with, let's say, just say ballpark of about 50 macro sites providing coverage to about 400 450,000 households. Whereas you may be in a city like Columbus, Ohio, where you may be building twice that density just because it's more suburbia and it's much more foliage uh, so you're taking all of those things into account, but on average, you're really solving for what we call in the business cost to pass, which is basically how many dollars you're going to spend in infrastructure that will allow, that will have some justifiable return. So in fiber cases, you're looking at $1,200, $1,400 $1, a home pass. In certain cases, you may be lucky and you're looking at eight to $900 a home pass, whereas Starry is looking at Ten to fifteen dollars a home pass to provide the same quality of coverage, and so that's really the sort of big um, opportunity is to be able to use that very low cost structure and identify areas which we our analysis suggests about eighty million households in the country, of which we have spectrum in about forty forty two million households to be able to roll this out. And I did want to get into some of those those economics. You you touched upon a lot of them there, but you know, just looking at at your own projections, and and you mentioned you know the cost for these rollouts. Um, you know, you're projecting to be EBITDA negative until 2024 as you build the network. But can you explain a bit the timeline of installation to break even and to profitability at both the market and the customer level? Um, sure. Yeah. The the way you we think about this is at what take rate from a customer take rate perspective do you turn EBITDA break? 
And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, in a typical wireline fiber overbuild, you're looking at 40-ish percent take rate to be able to justify that. And that takes you a good four to five, six-year period to be able to get to that maturity. In Starry's case, on a gross passing basis, meaning I set up a vertical asset and I'm radiating everywhere, and that gross coverage, we, and then there is a certain amount of that gross coverage that is not utilizable because you're in a deep canyon somewhere or you're hidden behind a building of some sort or whatever that happens to be because the millimeter wave spectrum doesn't really go through any kind of modern construction materials or physical objects like that. So you're adjusting for that breakage and starry turns break even at about 4% of serviceable coverage. And so you look at you know, a city like Boston and we've disclosed some of these statistics where today starry is about five-ish, five and a quarter percent of serviceable passings as penetration uh, in a two and a half year period. So that's really the timeline is you go, you set up a network and basically Starry takes give or take today, at least that's what we've uh, put out in our forecast based on our past performance, about a half a percent of the coverage that we've deployed as customers on a quarterly basis. So think about 2% of the market in any city that you're deploying in the first year, 4% the second year. So really you're looking at an 18 month to 22 month period from a inception of construction of the network to break even of that particular job. Hmm, interesting. And, you know, you, you touched upon it just a bit ago there, just in terms of the, the regulatory side here. I mean, you know, with, with any new approach can bring some more regulatory scrutiny than what the legacy systems get. Is there anything in front of regulators in the U.S. or abroad right now that could either be a boon or a detriment to what Starry is doing in terms of their rollout? Yeah, I mean, the good news is broadband is front and center for everybody in terms of its necessity, in terms of its access, both from an availability perspective and affordability perspective. And Starry obviously plays on both dimensions of that. So you look at, uh, from a regulatory environment perspective, and you look at the, you know, the infrastructure bill that put, you know, roughly about $40 billion into broadband that's going to get permeated out, you know, flown out of NTIA, which is another government agency, and at state levels as well. The EBB, which is the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program that the government put into place, which uh, subsidized broadband, and that has converted this year now into a portable broadband plan where people that are um, can justify uh, the, the need to, they can get $30 a month. So th- there's a whole set of government programs, both domestically and ultimately, we think internationally as well, that are gonna be highly supportive of two things. Number one, availability of broadband in in all geographies. So obviously rural parts of the country are going to get a lot of attention vis-a-vis and Starry's participated in in those kinds of programs as well. And then affordability wise uh, in the inner parts of the cities as well. So Starry has a great program called Starry Connect, which is uh, targeted at affordable and low income housing. That's an incredibly successful program on our side, and it's um, you know funded in part by the government grants and, and other companies as well. So we think fundamentally broadband now going forward is going to receive a great deal of uh, attention and investment from lots of different sectors, and government being one of them. And then what did you see in terms of network performance and traffic throughout the entire COVID pandemic? So it was really interesting, uh, and and uh, we were surprised, very pleasantly surprised. And when people ask us these questions, you know, hey, what's gone according to plan, and what's you know not gone according to plan, the thing that was blew me away was during COVID, where everybody and, and obviously things are still going on, but at the height of the beginning for you know think April of 2020, 
where people, there was so much fear uh, around this whole thing and people were washing vegetables and Lysoling their apples and counters and all that. We doubled the business from a subscriber perspective through that period um, because people were just wanted great quality broadband in particular when they're going to be working from home. They want customer support. They want quality experiences. And what we noticed from it to get back to your specific question that we noticed, and I'm going off of memory here a little bit, the, the, about a 40 to 50% increase in consumption on an overall data mm-hmm. capacity perspective on the downstream and about doubling on the upstream. Uh, and the doubling on the upstream is sort of an interesting phenomenon because as people work from home, and it, it's not as much that Zoom consumes more video, it's actually when you're using collaboration software, Slack, things along those lines where you're just transferring large amounts of data starts consuming um, a lot of return channel activity. And, and one of the benefits of Starry, much like a fiber network, is we are symmetrical. So we can control how much capacity we're putting up and downstream versus cable that tends to be mostly downstream in, in a smaller pipe upstream. So I think as you think about, uh, you know, one of the great learnings coming out of that was we saw a peak busy hour performance of our network, which is a metric that, you know, most network operators tend to track, rise uh, 40 to 50 percent, and uh, still, obviously, you know, we were able to deliver a great quality experience and, and maintain an NPS score of you know 72 through that period. So, so great accomplishment by the team, and really sort of a proof point for the the technology as well. And and you know, that's one of the things about Starry that I hope uh, you know we can continue to articulate. It's it's really a fully vertically integrated company. And and that's an important aspect because that allows us to really take performance data from the field in near real time and and control our technology in a way to continually improve the capacity, the experience, and the net uh, experience for the consumer, which is a really important thing. And I think, you know, I think people say, right, all companies will be technology companies in the future. And I think our view is you have to go to the next step, which is really successful companies are going to be vertically integrated so that they can create that particular experience in front of the consumer and really solve that problem. Yeah, definitely. So what are your plans for expanding internationally and what areas do you focus on in terms of coverage? Yeah, so at the moment, there are no specific plans that we have announced for international expansion. Those are you know conversations that we're having, but... Um, you know, at, at the moment, we have not in, announced any specific plans for international expansion. The areas of focus for Starry at the moment are, you know, we post closing our transaction, and obviously it's a function of where um, our balance sheet is. But the goal, the we expect to be somewhere between three to seven cities a year from a new city launch perspective. And you know, we have about fifty-three partial economics area and about one hundred and ten cities that fall into that geography as spectrum in the country. So we've got our plate full for the foreseeable future, just domestically if we did nothing else. Uh, And obviously we'll be opportunistic about looking at spectrum and other things internationally as well. Uh, And and some of it will be, you know, a little bit clearer post close of our transaction, because that'll give us a better view into what what, uh, our balance sheet looks like. Great. And and moving over to that side of things on on the SPAC end, uh, Amish, and what can you tell us about First Mark Horizon's uh, process and, and how you came around to Starry? Yeah, so, you know, when we launched this SPAC, uh, this was back in September, October of last uh, of 2019, um, you know, the world was in a very, very different place. And, 
you know, we were one of the first firms to launch one that was based on our experience at DraftKings, where we were an investor and we saw, you know, DraftKings is really the, the first uh, venture-backed company to, to, or one of the first venture-backed companies to break down the, the IPO process or the public process by going public via SPAC. So we saw that experience and we saw there was an opportunity to introduce competition to the traditional process. Um, and we were excited to jump into it. And I think we were excited by the landscape of technology companies that we've been interacting with over the last you know, decade plus of FirstMark's existence, uh, as well as the portfolio companies that we had. So we felt like there were a lot of uh, folks for us to uh, engage with conversations and we detail some of that obviously in our uh, S4. Um, we had broad sets of conversations with consumer companies, enterprise companies, infrastructure companies, uh, deep tech companies, uh, and it was a really broad process. And I think as we whittled through those and thought about our areas of expertise, um, where we thought there was an appropriate transaction, where we thought there was sufficient uh, demonstrated um, traction in the business, um, and when we thought about management teams, uh, you know, Starry really rose to the fold and we were really excited to, uh, to partner with them. Great. And, and in terms of you know, listed comparables to Starry, as we've kind of been discussing, the field is largely made up of big, diversified internet providers. So what are some of the attributes that you picked out that kind of helped guide your valuation for Starry? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting company because most of the communications space or the comms infrastructure space is filled with very, very big monopolistic type of companies that are mature uh, cash generators, but aren't growing very much. And in some cases are trading subscribers. Um, so you have kind of that bucket on the one end of it. Uh, we also have been in a market that has been valuing, uh, evaluating and, and valuing disruptive growth companies uh, in a very, very healthy way. And, and people are excited to see innovation and disruption in large TAM markets. And so you have on the other end of the spectrum companies that are growing, you know, kind of very rapidly uh, with really, really strong unit economics. So we tried to take uh, both of those as proxies um, for a company like Starry because it's really unique in that. Uh, it is an infrastructure company, but it's growing exceptionally rapidly. And if you were to look at the unit economics of the business fundamentally, it's an exceptionally profitable business as it gets to scale in a given market. And so, you know, to have a company that's growing 100% plus that over time can generate 40, 50% plus EBITDA margins, there's actually a very small group of folks that, that, that fit that profile, uh, if at all, particularly at scale. So it was it was a process of triangulating between the two. What we also did look at is how the markets were valuing uh, were evaluating and valuing um, SPAC uh, other companies that had despacked and looking at their 25 revenues and uh, the multiples today that were being paid for that. And so we took kind of a combination of these approaches and then you know back down into an appropriate valuation range, which actually you know given the transaction that we've structured here creates a significant amount of headroom. So you know we think that uh, if you're to use any of those methodologies, you you can wind up with you know a valuation well into the two and a half three billion plus. Obviously, this transaction is is more at the one point six billion dollar level, which creates uh, great uh, upside for those that uh, join in this journey. Um, but we think this ultimately can be a very, very large company in the future. 
And so we've seen a lot of changing market dynamics when it comes to SPACs and DSPACs over the last few months. Um, and a lot of companies are, and a lot of SPAC teams are already starting to adjust uh, in some ways, some of the terms that they're, they're putting into deals and, and, and some of the ways that they're approaching the financing. You know, Amish, have you uh, added anything to this deal, kind of looking at that and, and that helps smooth um, any parts of this thing moving forward? Yeah, we have. I mean, look, ultimately, we are believers in Starry over the long term, and we're happy to create uh, alignment of our structure around that. So, you know, as, as part of being a, a, a long term uh, disruptive technology investor and, and being involved in companies for over you know, decade plus, and even sometimes heading close to two decades, uh, we're very comfortable taking long-term positions. And so one of the things that we've done is is really aligned our um, promote uh, and sponsor structure to the benefit of the company and to incentivize, you know, capital delivery. So obviously we've taken 75%, uh, uh, roughly 75% of our shares, founder shares, and put them into uh, an earnout-like structure, which people have seen before. But I think that's a a really good development in the market where um, uh, sponsors are um, aligning themselves with public shareholders and the delivery of returns. But more so, what we've also done is um, we've forfeited a million uh, of our founder shares, and uh, what we've created is a pool of a million shares for our um, FMAC shareholders. So for those that elect not to redeem, that elect to stay in the company, uh, that group will share in uh, their ratable portion of a million shares. So to the extent uh, you know more people redeem, that's going to be a bigger you know pot for those that elect to stay in and for the um, for what we expect, which is you know a significant amount of of folks continuing to support the company in the delivery of capital to uh, an incredible business like Starry, uh, that will be in, uh, just a nice sweetener for them as part of the transaction. So we think this is one of the first times certainly that this has been uh, done, and it's a, just a ni- nice way of indicating from a sponsor standpoint, we're thinking about this the right way. We're aligning all the different pieces of you know the company, the public shareholders, and ultimately a long-term perspective. And uh, we're excited to do that. So could you also give our listeners an update on the timeline for the transactions closing at this point? Sure. So uh, we are uh, right now in the process of, um, you know, iterating on the S4 and uh, getting that, um, you know, fully dialed in uh, with the SEC. Um, we are also, you know, doing uh, a variety of things to help educate the broader markets uh, around the business itself um, because of its deeply technical nature. You know, it takes a little bit to understand why this is so radically different and how this team has really built something from the ground up. I mean, just to put it in perspective, a traditional service provider is gonna have hundreds, maybe even thousands of vendors that they cobble together to to offer their services. Starry has built all of that from the ground up. So it's a truly, truly transformative effort. And again, my history with this team goes back 20 plus years. I would say this is one of the best teams we've ever worked with. And so, you know, we know this team extraordinarily well. So uh, anyway, coming back to the timeline, um, you know, as we educate the market, as we finish up our, our SEC process, we would expect the transaction to conclude uh, sometime in, in Q1. But uh, obviously, that's going to be dictated by some degree of, of, you know, the process that we need to, to go to complete things, ensuring that uh, we feel good about where the markets are. But, you know, right now, I would say Q1 is the timeline. And then for Chet, what should our listeners be looking out for as Starry continues to grow? It appears that partnerships with affordable housing agencies and other municipal authorities have been big for the rollout. So what does 2022 have in store for the company? 
Yeah, uh, 22, uh, you know, obviously we uh, will continue to drive growth into our existing markets uh, where, you know, we super excited about how we performed in 2021. We expect to nearly double the business again in 22. So really, I think, you know, performance on our subscriber net ads uh, through 22 would be, is an important one. In addition to that, we expect to launch between three and seven markets a year. This year, probably more on the lower end of the size, just from a timing perspective, just because by the time the transaction closes and and we have the ability to ramp up, we probably will not be ramping up to seven markets. You know, additional new city launches is going to be the next big thing. Obviously, as part of our charter we and, and our, our mission, every city we go into, we form partnerships with local government, including affordable housing and public housing. So that will continue be, to be a, a important vector for the company. And it's a really in, interesting market uh, just because you know, the need for broadband in, in those areas is no different than anywhere else. Uh, in fact, perhaps more so. It's a great business just because you have a non-discretionary product serving people that really need it. And uh, they don't really have a whole lot of other alternatives or choices. So it, it becomes a really attractive uh, segment of the market as well for us. Additionally, we'll be in the second half of the year uh, of this year, we will be launching a small medium business product as well on the SMB market. And, and that'll be probably towards the second half of the year. Uh, and so, you know, that, that'll be an exciting addition as well. Great. And just to close things out on the, on the technological side, you know, what are sort of the incremental uh, improvements that you're expecting to see out of uh, your hardware uh, as things move along? As we've been talking about, you know, it takes a lot of time just to get the, the first wave of stuff out there. But, you know, do you, are, you, are you looking at improvements in range and, and power? What, what do you expect to see um, as you continue moving forward? Great point, um, because that is fundamentally uh, to the company's sort of strategies to continue to invest in R&D and, and to keep driving that distinction. So so in a company like Starry, there's probably three vectors of investments that I, I will talk about in R&D. Number one is, it's an arcane thing, but basically driving spectral efficiency, meaning how many bits can I jam through the spectrum that I have and how can I continue to improve that? So we expect to double that performance again in the next release of, of our um, base station technology that's going to come out. So that obviously, at some point, you know, getting more range isn't that interesting just because getting more customers drives more capacity utilization is, is a better strategy. So making sure your technology can continue to keep up with the, the capacity challenges that are going to come. And not today or five years or seven years from now. These are, you know, bets that you're making for the next 15 to 20 years in terms of what capacity needs it, uh, that are going to be. Uh, second is continue to drive down cost uh, and again, less so on the base station side, the big focus on cost tends to be now on subscriber terminals and subscriber equipment, just because every time you're connecting a customer, you know, you're spending close to $450 uh, in, in equipment and labor and things like that. So driving that down lower obviously reduces, you know, the cash impact on the business and, and working capital and things along those lines. So that's a second vector. And the third vector is really going to be services. As you think about what we are building, which is this sort of you know highly application aware network that is that we can control bits in terms of downstream and upstream and what kind of performance and latency. So what are the applications and services that could be really interesting to consumers? You know, back in the old days, it used to be okay, let's give them HBO, right? And and now you know, everybody knows how to get HBO. That's not that interesting. But really, people's habits and work from home, collaboration software, all of those things are going to drive different types of features and networks. That is going to be in a really interesting area and we'll continue to obviously invest in that uh, 
dimension as well. So, so big two, three years worth of uh, projects being lined up, uh, both on the construction side, build out of the network, but also on R&D to drive, you know, capacity that we might need five, seven years out or, and, and services that are going to use that capacity. Great. Well, it's going to be really fascinating to continue to watch as you guys roll that out and, and continue to grow. You know, I, I love the branding, by the way, the the astronaut and what you've been doing um, from a marketing standpoint really stands out, particularly from, you know, a crowd of, of, of competitors that, you know, whose logos we've been seeing for a long time, you know. So I, I imagine it's going to be a very exciting year for you and, and, um, and the next few years are going to be fun to watch Starry as well. Really appreciate the compliment on the branding. Uh, we love it. Great. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.